All right, uh, Mark chapter number 6 and verse uh, number 1. Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 1. And he went out from the fence and came into his own country, and the disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? that even such mighty works were wrought by his hands. Is this is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? Are not sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hand upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time to be together. Lord, thank you for this church. Lord, I pray this morning as we come, our eyes will be open to your word. Our hearts will be open to receive it. And Lord, that we would change because of the time we spent around it. Lord, I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. We find in our text here that Jesus returned to Nazareth. He's going home again. Our Lord's return to his hometown was not as you would expect. I mean, he had done some great and marvelous things already. Uh, I mean, he'd gone around preaching and teaching in the countryside. Uh, he healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, showed his power over nature. He proven that he's very special, very different. The last time Jesus was in Nazareth, things didn't go so well for him. He went to the synagogue and preached. That's uh, found in Luke chapter 4. He preached from Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And the people in Nazareth, they weren't just sitting there, well, that's, that was a pretty good, you know, decent message. It wasn't like, boo, it was really bad. They wanted to kill him. They were looking to take him to the cliff and throw him off the cliff. I mean, these people rejected. And now, a year later or so, he returns. I'll be honest, I don't think I would be that gracious if I knew the folks in my hometown wanted to throw me off a cliff and there's lots of them in my hometown. I probably wouldn't go back. But we see the grace of God here, don't we? That he returned again. And to give another chance to receive his message. And when Jesus arrives in Nazareth... Uh, we see the disciples went with him in verse number 1. They, they tagged along, going to Jesus' hometown. And uh, uh, when Jesus arrives, there's no anxious crowds. There's no multitude like other places. He arrives in town. Uh, I don't know how many days before the Sabbath, but it wasn't until the Sabbath that the folks actually paid any attention to him and, and watched what he was doing. They ignored him to the Sabbath day and they all went to the synagogue. And, uh, and, and what happened here this day... It's interesting for both us who know Jesus Christ as Savior and for those of you here this morning who do not know Lord as Savior as a word for us as well. So let's take a look at the Sabbath day visit in the synagogue in Nazareth. First of all, the people were shocked by His preaching. That's number one. The people were shocked by His preaching. Verse number two, And when the Sabbath day was come, He began to teach, this is Jesus in the synagogue, and many hearing Him were astonished. From whence hath this man these things? And when Jesus began to speak and preach and teach, 
the people who heard him were astonished. Now, have you ever like seen a, a, a check come in the mail and you were astonished it was for you? That's a good astonishment, right? You're excited about that. Then, wow, that's amazing. Astonished here means to be seized with panic, to be struck with terror, to be stricken, startled, and suddenly alarmed. When they heard Jesus, they were actually filled with fear. Doesn't that go contrary to what we know Lord Jesus to be? Jesus brings the gospel of peace, does He not? You know, these people didn't want Jesus. They feared the message He brought. And there's three ways in particular uh, that they pointed out they were amazed, astonished. His words. His words. For whence have this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty hand, works were wrought by His hands? When Jesus preached, which would have been amazing to hear, don't you think? I mean, I've heard some great preachers, but... They don't come close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he preached, I'm sure it was filled with grace. His words were definitely filled with authority. You knew he was preaching the truth. He didn't speak like the other rabbis who came there. Well, he wasn't a rabbi for one. He wasn't a good teacher. He was the Savior. Amen? He is the Savior. And a lot of churches today preach that from their pulpits today, that Jesus was a good teacher. Now he's the Savior of the world. Amen? That's who he is. And, but he was so much better than a local rabbi. I mean, other, the rabbis would quote other rabbis and, had, and they had no real sense of security or certainty in their words. When Jesus spoke, he did so with a sense that he knew what he was talking about. And there was no doubt in your mind. And there was no doubt in his mind. And the hearers would hear it. And they had one or two choices. Just like me preaching here this morning, you have one or two choices. You can accept the message or you can reject the message. That's, that's the choices. That's what's going to happen. He left his hearers, though, with no wiggle room. He didn't bring in a, a message where you, well, you could wiggle around a little bit. No, here's the truth and here's error. Choose. What are you going to choose? You know, even the Pharisees, they sent people to listen to him. When they came back, they said, never man spake like this man. Never man spake like this man. When the people of Nazareth heard Jesus speak, they were amazed. His wisdom, when Jesus spoke, His words were filled with truth. No error. When the people heard Him declare the old truth in new ways, and He brought, He illustrated in a common way so the common man could understand. The Lord left them wisdom, but yet they were, they were shaken by this wisdom and in disbelief. No, no, we don't want to hear it. His works. Listen, I spent two weeks in Newfoundland and, it, and it, you know, it was good to see folks and stuff, but some things never change. And man, you tell one person something and three minutes later everybody knows. Alright? Uh, and it's just the way it is. And you know that back in this time, the only way you got information is by word of mouth. It was passed on. And you know that the people in Nazareth by now had known the mighty works that Jesus had done. His fame had preceded Him. They heard about the miracles he had performed elsewhere. They could not believe that a young man from their own town could do miracles that, and then things that were attributed to him. The people in Nazareth could not believe what they were hearing or who they were hearing it from. They made a decision. They heard what Jesus was saying and they left with their mouths hanging open or maybe they left with a shaking head. No, no, not possible. Not possible. Our Lord's message still affects people the same way today, you know. 
When you read the Bible and study the message of the gospel, it can cause you to be astounded. And in the same way that these people were, in fear. Just consider some of the claims of the Bible that says, the Bible says that all are sinners. I don't know, a lot of people are excited about hearing that today. Now, in a lot of pulpits today, in churches today, there's going to be men and women who will stand up and say that, no, you're all good people. Well, that's not what the worst message of the Word of God, is it? The Word of God says that all are lost. You know, all are sinners. Romans 3, 10. And there's only one way to be saved, amen? Only one way. Sadly, today, there's many people who don't want to hear that either. And they're upset about that message because they think they found another way. And the only way, and that's John chapter 2, verse 20, 1 John 2, 23, and the only way for someone to be saved is to place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way. But yet there's so many places and teachers and churches and cults and denominations and so forth and so on. The list goes on and on that says there's all kinds of ways to heaven. When the Word of God says there's only one. There's only one. You know, and what I just told you right now, there's some people who get pretty mad at me about. They don't like that message. Because they've chose something, haven't they? They've chose to reject Jesus. They've had a better way. Those are amazing claims. I just And they're not claims. We know them to be true from God's Word. But many do not accept it. And because they do not accept it, they're condemned to a lost eternity without Jesus Christ. And they get angry when they hear that. Have you ever been out witnessing and, and testifying of the Lord? Maybe a co-worker, maybe knock a door, and someone's upset and they slam the door on you? I've had it. I've, I, I remember when we moved to Brampton and we were handing out John and Romans and we had a guy phone me and actually my wife picked up the phone. She got a blast. I mean, we were driving home from church and I could almost hear the guy and she had the phone way out here and uh, he was so mad that we delivered the Word of God to his, to his door. He was vicious. He was so upset. He said, come and get this stuff off my... I mean, I didn't get all the conversation. I just heard it through the echoing in the van. Okay. And one of the guys in the church went over and I'm going to try to talk to him. He gave it back to him. Wouldn't say a word to him. And he wrote all over that. This is lies and all that. I mean, I mean he had some problems. He needed Jesus. But he refused. And they reject the message. And if you reject the message, you attack the messenger, right? That's what they did to Jesus. What do you think when you hear the claims of the Gospel? Do you rejoice in its truth? Are you excited about it? You say, praise the Lord, I know it, I accept it. Or are you on the side and you're like, I'm not sure yet because I haven't accepted the message. Where are you? Maybe you're thinking there's a better way. Well, the Word of God says there's not. And the Word of God is truth. The people stumbled over his person. Verse number 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. The people of Nazareth heard the message that Jesus was preaching. They rejected his message because they thought they knew everything that they knew that was to be known about him. They had seen him grow up. They saw him as a little fellow running around the streets of Nazareth. Uh, maybe they'd seen him as a, a young man, as a, a teenager, becoming a man. And They knew that he never went to the divinity school. They knew that no rabbis took him aside and taught him. They knew that he didn't have any formal training. They knew everything there was to know about Jesus, or so they thought. To them, Jesus was just another boy from the town of Nazareth. 
didn't deserve their respect. They saw him as a common man. They also knew his occupation. They called him the carpenter. The carpenter in those days didn't always just build houses. They could have built farm uh, equipment, you know, like the the, uh, or the yokes for the ox and things and plows. Sometimes they built tables and uh, um, tables, chairs, beds. Uh, sometimes they were referred to people who would build anything from a plate to a to a building, to a house. People in Nazareth probably had in their possession or at least seen things that Jesus had helped his father Joseph, his earthly father, build. Common craftsmen, that's what they thought. You're no better than we are. That's what they were thinking. Why should we listen to you? We're told that they were offended in him. The word offended means to be caused to stumble or to expel to the point of abandonment. Because these people saw Jesus, they couldn't explain it. They refused to listen to him. They just, they couldn't see from his past. You're a carpenter. You're common. You're not who you're saying or what, where did you get this stuff? And they were offended. They couldn't get over that. And then these people did something that a lot of people do. They resorted to ridicule. Ridicule is the final refuge of a small mind. Let me say that again because I read that this week and I thought that was so true. Ridicule is the final refuge of a small mind. They call him the son of Mary. Now, I'll be honest, I love reading God's Word and I've read through the Bible lots of times and sometimes I've read it through twice in one year and other times once. But And I don't know how many times I've read Mark chapter 6 and this verse and verse 3. But it wasn't until this time that I was getting ready to preach this message that I sat down, looked through that. You know, that was not done in that society to call him the son of Mary. A male was always referred to as the son of his father. Even if his father was dead. To call a boy the son of his mother was to imply that the mother had played the harlot. So even back in that day, people were calling question and doubting the sincerity of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. In that day, and Jesus had not yet died, they were still questioning it, and they're still denying it today. Jesus was born of a virgin. They did not see, they rejected the notion that Jesus was born by supernatural means. The people of Nazareth could not explain Jesus, so they reacted to His words, His wisdom and His work with content and ridicule, and listen to the contempt in their verse or in their voices in verse number two. From whence have this man these things? They couldn't explain it, and so they could not accept it. They couldn't explain it. They couldn't. They couldn't accept it. No way. This couldn't be it. That state of mind is still with us today. People reject what they cannot easily explain. Do you find that when you try to tell them about Jesus Christ? I think you're a little dopey this morning. I'm going to be really honest with you. Did you go on an 81-hour road trip like myself? Or No, you know it's true. That people, you know, they, they reject that those things they can't easily explain. And when it comes to Jesus, there's much they can't explain to people's satisfaction. They say, no, I have nothing to do with that. Or they ridicule it. You know, people seem to have very little problem with the manger scene. You know that? Christmas time, I see lots of them around. Oh, there's no problem with a little harmless baby lying in the manger. But you tell them that that little baby that was born, that you're representing there, that little manger scene, was born a virgin, that he's God in the flesh. Oh, they can't handle that. No, 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 no. 
Well, that takes some faith, doesn't it, to believe that? It's easier to say, no, no, that's, that's not what I have. People seem to have a little trouble with, uh, with Jesus going about place to place, preaching his message of peace and love like an itinerant philosopher, which he is not. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. But when you tell them that He's the only Savior and that rejecting Him would result in you spending eternity separated from Him in a place called hell, well, they don't handle that very well either, do they? They don't like that. I'll be honest, I don't like it either, but it's the truth. You know, at family reunions, do you have an aunt that tells you everything you really don't want to hear? Come on, raise a hand. You got an aunt like that? All my kids do. They know her now. All right. A couple aunts. Now, I'm not going to say what they... Well, yeah, might as well, just for fun's sake. Marky. Come on, I'm 41 now. Stop with the Marky. Putting on a little bit of weight there, are you? Get in the car, kids. We're going home. No, we don't... Some... We don't like the truth sometimes. We don't like to receive it, do we? Still the truth. Still the truth. Needs to be declared. Now, people seem to have no problem Easter time when they think of a dead Jesus hanging on the cross, the shame of it. But when you tell them that He rose again, that He died, and that He lives today to save all those that would come to Him, and He would accept you if you come to Him by faith, they don't like that either. They don't like that. If your concept of Jesus stops with a baby in a manger or a dead man on the cross, you have missed the point. He is so much more than that. So much more than that. You must come to a place where you understand that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. John 3.16 You must understand that He died for your sins and my sins on that cross and He rose again from the dead. Romans 10.9 you must come to a place where you turn from your sin. You were going this way. You were living this way. And you understand that I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need Jesus. You turn from that and you place your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then you are saved. You must do that. I love the word hope. I mean, I love it. That my, the church that I grew up in, in Saint, Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, I, I preached there last Sunday. And their theme this year is hope. What a great theme. I love that theme. Hope. But my friend, if you refuse Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you. If you refuse Him. If you reject Him. If you say, no, no, no. You need Jesus. He is hope. There's much about Jesus, the Bible, and the Gospel that I can't comprehend at all. I mean, I read about heaven and I can't get it all together. I know I've talked many times with Brother Ian sat in his apartment and we talked and we, we, we joke, it's like a big circle. We never really get anywhere. We just talk about it. It's great to talk about the Lord, but how wonderful heaven is and what is going to be like this. And, you know, we talk about the Bible and sometimes we come up, we just laugh and say, well, we haven't figured it out, have we? But we trust the Lord anyway. There's lots of things like that. No, there's things I don't understand. I, you know, and I'll be honest to tell you, I don't, but that doesn't stop me from believing. I don't understand how my car works. Now, I'm sure someone here knows all about carburetors and injectors and this computer chip and that computer. No, all I know is I get in the car and I get that little key and click, click, go away I go if it starts. You know, if it just goes click, 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 I know I'm in trouble. All right? 
I don't understand how that can... I mean, if I was involved building engines, there'd be all kinds of explosions. I'll tell you right now. How does that gas get in there and it just lights it up and then it makes me... How does that all work? I don't know. And I really don't care. Just as it works for me that day. <laughs> Listen, I can trust Jesus. He built this world. He created with His words. With His words. Hey, we, we went on the side of the road looking for some moose and my sister has done this numerous... Here, moosey, 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 moosey. One time she actually called one, which scared us a little bit. Okay? But the reality is, our words are, you mean, really, what we can't do anything with. The Lord spoke it into existence. What a God we serve. What a Savior we have. Jesus Christ was born a virgin. It says in God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verse 25 talks about Isaiah 7, 14. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 7.26. Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I mentioned it already. Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later. He ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father as we speak and here today. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 and chapter 10, verse 1. He is the only way of salvation. He is the only door. He is the only truth. And apart from Him, there is no salvation. And there is no hope without Him. Now, I don't understand everything about the Lord Jesus Christ, but I believe Him to be exactly what the Word of God tells me. And I would encourage you to do the same. Do the same. If that's not what you believe, I would encourage you to believe it. Because it changed my life. It will change yours. The people were shunned by His power. Verse number 4, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hand upon a few sick folk, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about the villages teaching. The people rejected Jesus. They rejected His message. Can you imagine the Lord, the Savior, saying that verse 4? But in His own country, and among His own kin, and in His own house. The people of Nazareth, like people everywhere, took for granted what they had and wanted what they didn't have. You know, they wanted things that they shouldn't have had. They wanted things not of the Lord. They look at the Lord, at Jesus as one of their own. They treat Him as a common thing. I know some preachers who grew up in a church and went away to Bible college and came back and pastored the churches they grew up in. And they've told me some stories of how difficult that is. They've known, they've been known as little Joey since he first came into the nursery. You know, and they knew him and the, the folks knew him as teenagers when they were going through some rebellious spots, you know, and had did some things they shouldn't have done. And they try to minister and preach and teach and they find it very hard. I remember one guy in particular telling me about it. It was super difficult. It can be done, but man, it is hard. It's not easy. They'll find the less, they find being less accepted there than anywhere else. Verse number 5 tells us because of their unbelief, Jesus was unable to perform many miracles there. Only a few sick folks got 
healed. Now, let's get one thing straight. Their unbelief did not hinder His power. Right? Their unbelief did not hinder the power of Jesus Christ. He's absolutely sovereign, amen. He doesn't change because people don't believe in Him. If He could have done anything, He, he, he could have. If he, he could have done it. He possessed the power, but He refused to demonstrate His power in the face of blatant unbelief. Don't you think this is blatant? I mean, this is not hidden like they're hushed tones. No, they're, they're very vocal. Who is this? The carpenter. The son of Mary. I mean, ridicule. Very openly. And he refused to do that. The hands of Jesus were not tied because of their unbelief. The few people that came to him had faith in him and they received his help. The rest rejected him. Said no. And we saw what they said. We serve a sovereign God. Amen. That's who we serve today. He's in charge. He's in control. And He can do what He pleases and when He pleases and to whom He pleases. Our faith or the lack thereof does not possess a problem for Him. The Lord is not mighty when we have strong faith. The Lord's not weak when our faith is low. He is almighty. All the time. He's almighty. But in this case, Jesus refused to do it because He wasn't going to cast His pearls before the swine. Why would He do it? They refused the message. Thus, they forfeited the miracles. God's best blessings are not the works of healing and multiplying your loaves and fishes or meeting your needs. But that's still amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. How the Lord provides and takes care of things. and he, he takes care of this need. He takes care of this situation. They're all amazing. I don't know if you read through the Gospel, but it's amazing how the Lord changed so many people's lives by healing them, raising people from the dead. It's amazing. That is truly amazing. But the greatest work of God is saving, sealing, and securing lost souls. Amen? That's His greatest work. And if you are saved here today, you've experienced the greatest of the Lord's works, His salvation. You are secure in His hand. No one can take you away from Him. You are His and His alone. When Jesus saw the depth of their rejection, verse number 6, He said, he said marveled at their unbelief. The word marveled means to stand in wonder and amazement. Jesus said to have marveled only twice in the Scriptures. Both times His amazement was over faith. He marveled at the great faith of the Saturian in Luke chapter number 7. I don't know if you know that story, but the Saturian came and showed great faith and the Lord was marveled at it. He was amazed by it. And now, here, Jesus marveled at the lack of faith among His own people. Jesus is amazed that these people have heard the truth and seen the truth, still turned a deaf ear to it, a blind eye to it. And as a result, He left Nazareth. And you know what? We have no record that He ever returned. I don't know about you, but I thought about that as I prepared this message. and It was sad to think about it. It really... Anguish in my own heart to think that you did that and the Lord walked away. 
Not, well, we never know. He, he might have, but we have no record that he returned again. That's sad. Very sombering thought. There's an application for us here this morning, church. Jesus shows up when we meet. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. He desires the church to be together. We know that in Hebrews chapter 10. Gather yourselves together, you know. Don't forsake the uh, gathering of yourselves together. And He desires to teach us the truth. He wants us to grow. And if you're going to be honest, there's still room for growth in all our lives. There's room for growth in my life. Knowing more of God's Word. Getting into it. Knowing more and knowing more and knowing more. And growing. If we come to the house of the Lord expecting something from God, we'll get something from the Lord. Amen? Amen. You'll, you'll get something. But if you come through this door, or wherever it is, and you kind of come in with your arms crossed and said, I've seen it all before, and I've heard it all before, with that kind of attitude, you're not going to get anything. You're not. We come to the church house and expect the preacher to preach it down and work it up. Do a great job, preacher. The fact is that great worship service demands the participation of both the preacher and the congregation. You need to be involved. You need to be there. A famous uh, theologian of yesteryear, William Barclay, put it this way, there could be no preaching in the wrong atmosphere. The congregation is responsible for at least half of every sermon. In atmosphere of expectation, the least effort will catch fire. In atmosphere of coldness or indifference, the most spirit-filled sermons will fall flat. Hey, do you understand that when I stand here to preach and Pastor Tyson has preached longer years than me, we know when the crowd comes expecting something from the Lord. It's not that hard to figure it out. If you all sit there like this, bring it. You're not coming expecting this from the Lord. You're coming with the wrong attitude. Oh, you're here. You're fulfilling the law, but your attitude stinks. You're, you're fulfilling what the Lord's told you to do to be in church. Oh, but you're not here to accept anything. You're here because you got to be. That's sad. Why wouldn't you want to be a church to be encouraged by the brethren, to hear God's Word, to, to fellowship with the body of believers? If that's a problem for you, you need to talk to the Lord about it real quick. This is a place of fellowship, a place of encouragement. It should be. I hope you come expecting God to do something in your heart today. You expect to see a great worship service. And I'm not talking about a loud racket, but one that honors and glorifies the Lord. Your heart is stirred by the Word of God. Or if you want, you can have that old gold, cold, dead you know, service and worship. Why would you want that? Why would you want to go to a church where you're once you go through the door? I want a church that's alive. That's what church I want to be involved with. Alive for Jesus Christ. I want to serve Him. And see people get saved and families work together. A fellow by the name of A.J. Gossip was preaching in a certain church. He was an evangelist. He was involved in the church of a great Scottish preacher named Alexander White. And the pastor asked him one day, where were you preaching last Sunday evening? This was the day, days before instant texts and cell phones and things, right? So you actually had to see the person to find out what was going on, or at least the truth anyway, what was going on. And he said, well, I was over preaching at this church last Sunday. And, and, he, and the pastor asked him, he said, well, how did it go? And he's like, man, it was really cold over there. And he said, cold? I'd say it's cold. 
I preached there two years ago and I still haven't got the chill out of my bones. Hey, let that never be said of our church. Amen. Amen. That we want to serve the Lord. We're excited about it. We're on fire for the Lord. I pray that we'll embrace what the Savior has for us and we'll go forward. That we'll never push Him away like those folks in Nazareth did so many years ago. Just as in Nazareth, you know, Jesus won't force Himself on, on anyone. He's a gentleman. If you accept Him, He'll come. If you force Him away, He'll leave. Oh, but there's so much more with the Lord. Amen. There's so much more we can do with Him than without. We were lost without Him. I'm afraid that there's a lot of Christians today who become like the people of Nazareth. Oh, they're saved. They're not lost. And they've, they've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they do love the Lord, but they become so familiar with the message of the Bible and the crucifixion and the, the miraculous birth and His burial and His death and resurrection. They're no longer moved by them though. Listen, those things that are recorded from the Word of God should move us. They should stir our hearts. They're important. They're vitally important. We should never get to a place where we hear those things and say, uh, so what? Oh my. We should never get to that place. When we hear about how Jesus died for us, it should send shivers down our spines. It should move us. Maybe not to tears, but just think of His great love for us. We should think that way. We need to care. Let's make sure that we have not allowed our hearts to grow cold and callous, Christian, toward the things of God. If they have, today be a good day to get before, that, before the Lord and ask Him to warm your cold heart one more time. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never embraced Him. You've never confessed your sin and asked him to into asked him into your life. You need to come to Jesus. There's hope for you. There's hope for us. And his name is Jesus. Would you come to him today?